0: Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badman as he talks with the innovators in the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Baminson, I'm a futurist, and I help my clients look out 5, 10, 20 years into the future to create more resilient and equitable futures today. And today, very, very excited, a kind of a pivotal moment. I'm gonna be chatting to the first guest I ever interviewed as part of this podcast series. The progenitor, like the genesis of this podcast, in a way. Um, and it's Denny Unger. Denny Unger is the CEO and creative director at Cloudhead Games. Since 2012, they've shipped four VR titles, Call of the Starseed, Heart of the Emberstone, Valve Aperture Hand Labs, and the absolute behemoth blockbusting pistol <laughs> Uh, Cloudhead Games have pioneered approaches to VR and gave rise to two broadly adopted standards, VR comfort modes, uh, strokes, uh, snap turns, and blink teleportation. Working closely with VR hardware leaders in the space, including Valve, Oculus, HTC, Sony, Cloudhead Games, continues to innovate, inform, and entertain. Denny regularly speaks at events, and I've spoken at events with him uh, on panels and such, like uh, sharing his experience and vision of how VR will impact our daily lives and hey denny it's so good to have you here on the podcast
0: thanks for having me back after that many years it's weird
1: after yeah yeah it's so weird but like it's good we've got lots we've got lots of ground to cover i mean so four and a half years ago, March 2016, I think I was writing an article for, for a big conference in, in BC, a big BC tech conference. It was like these trailblazing um, people in the tech scene. You were one of them. and But we, we'd actually met before that. And uh, I think I was on Vancouver Island when I lived out west, in Western Canada. And and someone said, hey, go and, go and meet Denny. And you're in this, you know, sort of this, tra- would you call it a trailer? This sort of like... The, the, this this sort of temporary office in a way and i think there was yeah. you and about three or four other
0: guys building out virtual reality environments right yeah i'm not sure if the first time we, we've had a really weird uh hall with different offices like really bizarre office spaces <laughs> we, were, we were in a we were in a train station that's right and that may have been where i first met you it was a really small space
1: yeah it wasn't the train station it was the one after that out at Coombs and then I met you okay. and then you
0: moved above it like a carpet warehouse or like a furniture <laughs> warehouse <laughs> uh, yeah we went from we went from a train station to uh this weird place uh, by Coombs with goats on the roof uh literally goats on the roof uh that's that was maybe where I first met you and then we right. went and then we moved to um right now we're in a fire hall yeah. <laughs> so it, it, none of it stopped the cool thing about the fire hall is it's like eight thousand square feet and you know we get a great deal from the town it's an old old fire hall so uh, you know our next space will be i don't know a uh, haunted library
1: cool <laughs> this is perfect but this is perfect for vr right this is this is it yeah. this is this is this is the seed for new ideas so so when i met you all those years ago you know you moved whatever i i, I kind of remember um the office above, like the, the the store, and you're like, okay, you want to see something cool? I'm like, yeah. And I think we're, I was there with my buddy Karis, who's who's now down at Google doing uh, augmented reality. So it's like sign this massive stack of paper. Uh, so right. we both signed it, and we tried on this headset that we'd never seen before, and yeah. I, like my mind was blown. Like really high resolution, um, a, a different kind of VR experience that I than I'd ever had. And, um, you know, I was under NDA, didn't say a single thing about it. I didn't even know who it was from, whatever. And about three months later, I think at G3 or whatever, it was HTC Vive, we're working with Valve, and that's what we, we tried out, right? But, yeah. you know, from, from these early days of creating, and I think I, think I, I saw Heart of the Emberstone or some of the early sort of work on that. You know, what's been going on over the last four and a half years? You know, we, we talked about all sorts of... All sorts of crazy things back then about you know these these immersive environments and you know start you know the Star Trek sort of hollow rooms and all sorts of crazy yeah. stuff, but you know, you know what, what's your journey been like in the last four and a half years? And then I really want to get into the industry as a, as a whole.
0: Man, I I've forgotten more than I remember. Put it that right. way. It's been so busy um, and uh, tumultuous. And uh, rocky and solid and uh, t- tons of innovation continued to happen since that time, right? Um, and it just it, you know, it was it was the same old thing every six months, new innovation, new hardware, new problem to solve. Um, and that that just kept happening. At, but we are also in this really weird phase. I think it was around 2018. So two years after the hardware officially launched, right in in twenty eighteen, VR was taking a pretty steep downturn just in terms of uh, buy in, I guess, from the OEMs who were really backing this stuff. Um, so that's when you started seeing like Google backing out of VR and stuff right. like that. Right. Uh, no one was funding anything. Um, we were still at a point where uh, adoption of the hardware was was really low. Uh, you know, the press wasn't being particularly kind to VR. A lot of my peers in the industry were shutting down studios or just, you know, opting out, right? Right. And it was at that time, it also, it, it kind of corresponded with a bunch of tension in the market about what VR did right and what it did wrong. Right. And, and what people had an issue with, a lot of people had an issue with things like comfort and setup and the cord on the headset. It was... It seems like little things, but they were all, they all turned out to be massive things. Um, And price, obviously. Uh, Price and convenience, right? Uh, This magical technology existed, but for many, it was too expensive to actually get into. And that was our biggest problem. So in 2018, we knew something that no one else knew at that time, which was well, two things. We knew that the Oculus Quest was coming to market. It was, oculus's new uh, all-in-one um, completely wireless headset didn't need a computer basically it chopped down all of the main friction points that consumers had with the technology um but it, it could link to your computer if you wanted deeper horsepower and wanted to drive like higher end experiences but you didn't need a computer um so we knew that was coming in 2019 we also knew that Valve was working on their own headset. Um, they had since fractured from HTC, um, and they they created they were creating the Valve Index, and we were working with them on uh, actually the, the new controllers, the knuckles, um, which track fingers. And so we were building uh, behind the scenes. We were building you know basically a tutorial on how to you know use your hands and fingers in VR. And that's what we did, uh, Aperture Hand Labs. So we knew that that uh, hardware was coming to market as well in 2019 which no one knew and we also knew that valve was working on one of their major vr titles at the time which was uh, half-life alex right which was a like multi-million dollar high-end vr title you know using a, a license that was adored by gamers across the world
1: yeah and everyone had been waiting <laughs> and waiting and waiting and waiting for this title to come out right so, so something yeah. like 12 years or
0: 15 years or something right well for the i mean the turnaround for the vr title was way faster than that right um for for i mean i think four years all told i think they may have been working on that right um they moved pretty fast for what it was
1: yeah but i mean mean in terms of like the last oh sorry yes yeah (laughs) Yeah, the the, the last half-life and everyone's like ah you know when's it coming when's it coming and then suddenly Uh, this this popped up pretty quickly huh
0: yeah so that was de- so, sorry yes the context there is that for decades people have been waiting for a new half-life game right, right um and there and it was you know it became a meme because you know so many people wanted it and it never yeah. came um so they decided to use that property anyways we knew that that was coming uh in 2019 those those that kind of triad of things that would in our opinion it was like if those things don't Tip the market for VR. Nothing is going to tip the market for consumers. Nothing right. is going to get buy-in, because they were addressing some of the biggest issues and uh, in the space at the time. So, and we were like down to our last six months runway. That's right. that's how di- dire things were for us in 2018. Uh, anyways, so the Quest comes out and magically it hits that sweet spot for consumers. The price is right. The tech stack is right. The comfort and setup is super easy to use, and then Valve, and that's you know that's kind of like the cons- the the lower or sorry I guess middle tier consumer product. It had six degrees of freedom, like you could physically walk around a space. Um, the the way that they handled um, uh, inside out. Uh, Tracking and and defining your space was really smart. Like basically, if you physically walk out of your virtual space that you've fenced off for yourself, um, you see the real world, um, right. and it just it all happens very smoothly and automatically. You don't have to think about it, right? Um, and Valve comes out with a kind of premium VR headset that that's doing a bunch of other things, right? Like it's got an amazing comfort and really high resolution and uh, a totally new way to handle sound and audio. Um, and it's got the, the finger tracked controllers, like it just kind of, it leveled up on a number of levels. And those things all resonated with the public, different tiers of the buying public. Um, and it did tip the market. It started with the Quest, carried on with the Valve Index, and then most recently, uh, the Quest 2 just came out. And with that, we saw a 10 times increase in sales uh, on our title that's already been out for a year. Um, so. It's been a really, like it for the first time in, we're going on our eighth year in VR. Right. So for the first time in eight years, uh, we're a profitable, healthy company with a couple of years ahead of us, right? Um, So it's a a really big deal. I don't know that everybody quite appreciates how big of a turn it really has been. Uh, So it's super exciting. Sorry, that's just my, that's a very general overview. Yeah,
1: no, and and do you know what? It's amazing. I mean, the the tipping point of this, was that Pistol Whip? So Pistol Whip comes out and suddenly changes the fortunes of the company, or is it something else?
0: Well, because we knew that the Quest was coming out and we knew what it did, uh, we knew what its capabilities were. Uh, we started building for it because we were, were like, this is this is hitting the sweet spot on so many levels for consumers yeah. that we have to make sure that whatever we make, it runs on the Quest natively, um, and Pistol Whip also had to run on everything else, PSVR and and just regular PCs and everything like that, right? But yes, Pistol Whip is what changed it, and uh, the the big goal for us with Pistol Whip was you have as a consumer, you need to understand it in 30 seconds or less. You have to understand right. what you're doing um there's one button uh and it really relies deeply on kind of your lizard brain um driving behavior it's it's about survival you're we're putting you in a situation where you automatically behave in a certain way because you're in a survival mode um and anyways we made the right choices there thankfully and that that really resonated with people
1: do you know, what's really interesting about this, uh, you know, it's sort of getting to the point where the hardware gets to a more simplistic uh, execution, and then you can actually have a more simplistic, more humanistic experience with the game, the, the games that you come out with. And, and for me, when I talk to people about virt- virtual reality headset, I've, I've done tons of interviews with like Inverse and whatever. And it's like, so uh, the pandemic and working from home. So this is when VR really comes into it. So I like, why? Why, I mean, why, you know, why wouldn't, why would I just automatically be like, oh, well, now I'm at home and we must virtually recreate the office <laughs> or suddenly we have to change the office environment to have virtual realities. But it's like, you're all crazy and get off the tech and get back to the humanistic principles about what we want to do and how easy we want it to be. And, you know, it, it's hard to spend too long in any kind of headset, right? I mean, yes, not, not. It's hard, like staring at these at these rectangles for eight to twelve hours a day, trying to work. Let alone wearing a headset, right? But it, yep. it's kind of interesting to me with with all of this 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 sort of ascension, in a way of and the hardware vendors. You know, I I think it's interesting with with the Oculus Quest two and Facebook. You know, they're still not coming out with you know the 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 mashup of social social network and virtual reality right and then you've got things like Burning Man in in VR right yeah. I can't I can't remember what platform that was actually put out there anymore. there
0: was a there was a few different platforms yeah. um, and I'm sorry I'm drawing a blank as well there's yeah. at least three that had yeah. different events going through and, and so,
1: so so what was interesting is suddenly social social networking in togetherness or collaborative art or whatever is sort of transcending the we watch movies in VR. We, we play games in VR. But, it, you know, is that going to be something that's that sort of the next stage of virtual reality? That there's, is this togetherness, the, the big promise of put this on, hang out with your, like, your, your deceased grandma or your or, or have dinner with your friends across the
0: world? Man, you touched on a lot of different things there. The, the, <laughs> sure. the, the big one, um, I guess the most relevant one is a recognition of adoption, uh, because there's been such a big turn in market You over the next two years, for sure, you're going to see, um, a lot of experiences pivoting towards social, right. uh, social and multiplayer and co cooperative experiences, right. Uh, whether that's games or experiences, uh, because it's something, it, the minute you cross that threshold of users, uh, you, you start getting a craving for those types of uh, right. experiences and that kind of content so absolutely that's where we're headed um and also just as a bigger statement i mean i know that facebook their 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 big agenda which you know and people have a lot of different opinions on this but their big agenda is to create a a working metaverse um that you know it is very sci-fi because it it covers all, how we work and how we socialize and how we do everything um and and obviously we're not at a point where we can say that that's anywhere near being there because the technology still has to evolve to the point where comfort issues are taken care of all day long wearing the device itself has some radical evolution to go through and it's more likely that it will be um an ar vr mix it's it's something that does both things but form factor is going to have to radically reduce um and we know that several companies are working towards exactly that but once you have those types of technologies, that's when things get really, really weird. Um, and I and I guess what's interesting is, so I know I know that there's a <laughs> the, some of the bigger companies out there. We'll we'll say Apple just throw it yeah. out there are working on um, AR headsets, but um, I think it's a kind of a common belief at least with my peers, that when they release their AR headset, it's going to be very task-specific. Right. So it'll do it'll do a few things really fucking well. And it only needs to do those few things very fucking well, because that's what's going to sell their base, right? Right. Uh, but the first, like, really... Uh, this is me just trying to make a prediction here, but I think the first really compelling AR headset will actually be a VR headset. And the reason I'm saying that is because the camera tech that's being used for inside-out tracking uh, is constantly evolving and getting higher resolutions. There'll be a pass-through mode at some point that will be a convincing uh, synthetic version of reality. You'll see your living room, and it will look normal to you in a headset. And shrinking down all of the components in a VR headset is much easier than trying to solve the hard problems of an AR headset. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a simple example is, you know, driving, con- convincing uh, black values and tones in an AR headset. Right. Um, it's it's a simple optical problem that, you know, I I have the Hololens two here, and uh, you know, we're still really far away from that. Um, you get a, you get around a bunch of optical headaches if you do a VR headset uh, in an in an AR pass through mode. So. I wouldn't be surprised if in the near term future we saw heads VR headsets that were doing such good pass through that they became maybe the most competent uh, AR headsets. Um, and also field of view is another massive issue that AR headsets have. They don't have enough field of view to really sell you on why you would want that all the time unless you're doing like simple heads up kind of display stuff, right? I mean,
1: a, a lot of the stuff in in augmented reality we've seen, especially from Apple as well, is holding up holding up the phone to the environment, seeing the environment in the screen, and that's probably a, a little bit of a, a of a signal that is telling us that that you're probably not far off with that idea of, you know, wearing the bigger headset and then suddenly, you know, it's going to project the environment into in into the headset, and then you're going to process it that way. I mean. We we've seen we've seen like the fall of Meta. We we're seeing like the the slow yeah. painful decline of Magic Leap, right? But all of these co- companies that were promising something great. And I've tried I've tried Meta, I've tried Magic Leap, and yeah, the the field of view is is not great for either. And Meta pretty much disappeared. I'm not sure yeah. where Magic Leap is in the world because half the people that were the the visionaries behind that I think have have left the company now. There'll be a fire sale for the. For the patent technology to try and recoup, probably yeah. the 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 money that's been like poured into you know this incredible future that didn't
0: quite get realized, right? Yes. Um. Sorry, I was just trying to pull up info. The, the actually the most compelling AR headset I've I've seen came from a company called Leap Motion. Not to be oh, confused yeah. with Magic Leap. Yeah. Um. But it's the Star. Oh, what's it called again? Sorry. Uh, oh God, I've got images of it here, but. I can't remember what it's called. Anyways, Leap Motion is a company that makes hand tracking. Uh, through the, a the, camera. The,
1: the North
0: Star headset. North Star. Yeah, and it's just a prototype that people, you know, you can basically download the, the print files and, and 3D print the, yeah. the headset and build the guts around it. But what's so interesting about it is that it's this perfect example of ugly, but does exactly <laughs> what you want AR to do which is encompass a very wide field of view yeah. so that you can completely gobble up the the user's visual field um and then you can start making really transformative shit in AR like we want we all kind of have this vision for AR that gets us to a place where you know I can skin my room however I want it to be I can make my I can make my office look like a dungeon or or whatever I want you know I I can start actually replacing uh tangible things in my space with virtual things and they look like they're stuck into the world in a convincing way right so that headset is really interesting to me as a development headset Um,
1: it's super super cyberpunk as well let's be honest like yeah (laughs) it, it, it speaks to us nerds
0: yeah, it's. I mean, no one's going to wear it outside the house, but um, it's it's exactly what AR developers should be using when thinking about this technology, I think, um, just because everything else falls so flat. I we, we flew down and tried the Magic Leap when it was in earlier development, right. um, uh, as, as you may have, Nick. And uh, yeah, it just fell short on so many levels. Yeah. You, you could tell they were trying hard, but it was just they were trying to overcome some really, really hard problems. Um, and, well, I, yeah.
1: I think I think the story is the the original technology was insanely incredible and impressive, and they yeah. just couldn't shrink it,
0: right? No, exactly. Yeah, but it's still yeah.
1: there, and it's still incredible what there is. And they fixed a whole bunch of different things, and and the light field that they were using was incredible, but it was like what the original one was like the size of a fridge, and then it didn't <laughs> yeah. really get much smaller from there, really, in, in that yeah, particular it- config.
0: And it didn't move either. Like I think the original right. one, you basically had to lock your head in place yeah. and look through. Um, so yeah, the, and and when we tried the the, I don't know what version or what prototype it was, right. but it was it was massive. If you ever saw the movie Dreamscape back yeah. in the 90s, it was like <laughs> this giant thing on your head that was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I
1: remember and, trying the Meta like when it was called uh, Space Glasses,
0: and mm-hmm. I tried
1: it in. Uh, Steve Mann's laboratory at the University of Toronto. If we're really gonna get into like the, the past of augmented reality, I should interview Steve Mann. Like he's he's an interesting guy. I interviewed him a, uh, a few years ago. Um, and it was so rudimentary, all of these things, but yeah, you know, meta actually got quite a long way.
0: It but, did, yeah.
1: And, and it was good. Like we've got friends that work there, and, and it's yeah, and then suddenly tech gets weird and investors get weird and the world gets tricky and and then suddenly no more no more company that's doing amazing things
0: yeah so i i think i i had said this a few years ago i'm like so what happened in vr was was interesting around that same time period 2018 you started seeing a lot of uh, investments pivot to ar right um just as as a general statement and i i was i kept saying you guys, that tech is so far out still. Like it's 10, back then I'm like, it's at least 10 years until we start seeing a practical consumer application of AR. Um, And it's continued to be the issue to to this day. What's interesting over the last two years, you're starting to see that the market pivot again, or at least the investment circles going, oh, wait, VR is profitable now? oh okay i better i better look back at that technology um because ar is turn is taking a hell of a long time because there's there's these really hard problems to solve right and they can't be solved by anybody but a massive corporation with that kind of money um and it's still a long way out well maybe maybe not as long but i and maybe you know more than i do but (laughs) from from what i i gather it's still we are still in a phase where um you know, Apple may come out with something sooner than later, but again, it'll be very specific to do a yeah. specific thing. Um, so I don't, I don't see the the golden AR headset coming out for a, at least another five years, at least.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really know anything per se, not more than you. You know, I look around. Anyone that I know that works in that particular field tells me absolutely nothing, which is fine because. You have to. It, it, everyone's hedging bets in multiple directions and trying to work out what works, what doesn't work, what that future looks like, what's practical, and whatever. Whether that's Microsoft, Google, Apple, or, or whoever. Right. Um. I, I. think. I think that you know we have seen all all the small independent players falling by the wayside, and you're just seeing yeah. the, the big guys like learning from the mistakes and bringing in the challenges and and even things like I think it was like North, which was the company here. Um they they would literally I, I i tried on one of their uh one of their glasses last year when i was doing a private conference in, in in quebec and their lawyer had had a pair of these glasses and it was like you know google glass plus sort of thing and google glass yeah. has sort of kind of snuck back in with some industrial applications i know some people doing some stuff with um with, with kids on the spectrum with that stuff that's really really cool um that you know again that that narrow focus and And what's interesting is that that people literally leap in front of cameras today and say, "Take my picture," make take a video, (laughs) whatever. When you know, whereas back in the day, I always say, like the Snap Glasses that came out, suddenly people want to be you know in your Snapchat, and uh, and when people came out with Google Glass, you were going to get a black eye, right? Right. (laughs) again it's it's well it's human human behavior and and technology seeping into culture right and paul sappo paul sappo says it takes (laughs) about 30 years for technology to seep into culture and i'm i i I still listen to old radio shows and watch old episodes about virtual reality from back in the 90s right
0: yeah yeah exactly i have to i have to remind people of of vr's early history so they get a full picture of how long it's been around and and the time, the number of times that it's tried to come to a consumer market, because that that totality of time lines up much better if you're looking at where it hits um, the saturation point, where it's a mass adoption situation, um, and I think we're in it right now. I just I just had an interview the other day talking about exactly that. Where we, because we're seeing, and this isn't just our company. This isn't just Cloudhead Games. Yeah, a, a number of my peers who have stuck it out and they. have Done good work, and they're creating compelling software. Are seeing huge increases in sales, um, like not dismissible levels of sales. Uh, that uh, just they show concretely that there's a huge surge in market growth right now. And it and it has, and it's not just because of Quest2. It started in 2019, and it's just continued to to grow um, to this kind of f- fervor of activity. Mm-hmm.
1: I, and I do think culturally. I mean, for example, Burning Man VR. I imagine that there were tons of people that went out that probably would never have played with VR before. That went out and literally got headsets just to do that experience. And probably yeah. in the tens of thousands of people. And when Facebook really does take off, it's going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people as well. And it's a. I kind of. I have to agree with you. With I'm so excited about augmented reality. I was so excited about Magic Leap. And then it's that feeling of being let down when you see the first demo of what was it a, a goblin throwing rocks into into yeah, the middle right. of space? Um, but what's really interesting about that history piece, right? So if, if we go back and you go to like the beginning of when head-mounted displays were really sort of looked at seriously for the first time we're talking about like 1966 to 1970 the sword of Damocles around about the same time you had Doug Engelbach and his team you know reinventing personal computing cut to today personal computing is in smartphones and six billion smartphones in the world and more people have got access to smartphones than clean running water as I like to use in my my talks as, as an idea of how important that sort of technology has become whereas sort of you know, virtual reality never quite followed that, that trajectory because, you know, wearing computers on your, on your head and on your face, mm-hmm. it's still today is not really publicly acceptable. If I, if I went walking out there with something that, that was akin to a VR headset and it had a camera and it, it, it was coming into, you know, the real world was coming into my world, yeah people are going to avoid me, right?
0: yeah this you're touching on something really important which is the stigma of the tech yeah and and the the social adoption of the weirdness of the tech i i think it's it's definitely like the the younger generations that don't give a shit about that stuff like that you know generation y or whatever whatever generation you want to slide in there they're much more open to any of this stuff and and that's what's and in, in many ways, le- leading the charge um, for getting the public over it. You know, like, yeah. And I, that's another thing I've seen is just a general, like, we're finally getting over the kind of knee jerk reaction to what people think VR is. The, the whole 90s VR movement, virtuality, and the stuff that started back then um, to, to try to launch VR as a public thing a consumable thing, uh, it stained and tarnished the whole image of VR for so many decades. And right. we're only just now getting over that because the technology actually does what people think it should do. And enough people have experienced it now where they can kind of go, uh, no, that assumption you're making is actually just wrong. It, it actually does feel this way. And it actually is good. And it does all these things right. Um, so you know, it's I- starting to become more uh, ex- liberally accepted, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, I talk about virtuality as part of like future of events and future of experience and whatever. And people are, are people are, their entry level into virtual worlds is through the monitor, it's through their mobile phone. So, for example, Tour de France, they, they, they did, uh, you know, they had to cancel um, the, the originally planned uh, Tour de France. And then I think they did it later in the year. Like, I think uh, they did it in August instead of earlier in the year. And, uh, and they, but they, they still did it with Zwift. And Zwift and all that, and then you have Travis Scott. I'm um, doing virtual concerts and Marshmallow um, yep. <laughs> doing doing concerts in Fortnite. And I was chatting to a client, and I was given, and they were a property developer, and uh, they were talking about, well, what about the future of, you know, of our industry? What we can do digital experiences. And I looked at VR because, oh yeah, you can sort of walk through apartments <laughs> or whatever. And I was like, no, it's it's not like that. You can actually build virtual environments that you don't have to strap. These things onto your head because people aren't going to go out and buy them really, and then it was like no no Zwift and, and Travis got these sorts of experiences that you know on on YouTube there's this big movement of first person you know walking videos yes there's a guy called Rambalak in uh, in in Japan and yeah you, I've watched you, them right <laughs> and what is it it's 4K yeah walking the,
0: down the streets
1: the, the audio is incredible yeah and it takes you to shinjuku or yeah. kyoto or or any place that, that you can and there's this movement i'm i'm actually going to be talking to a tourism congress about this exact thing it's like this is it this is virtual reality and it's not it, it it's transcended the device on your head right
0: yeah, I, me and my son literally just watched one of those videos um, a few days ago. Uh, you, you have to have a 4K TV to really appreciate it, I guess. But yeah, uh, I, I 100% agree. It's it's still a super transportive experience.
1: Yeah, I want to I um, want to just yeah. uh, go back. Like, so when when I was working with this property developer, and, we t- and I put Travis Scott, there were there were two two women, and they were they both had children, and uh, they were sort of you know 40s um you know in relationships with kids and at the end of the call they were like yeah um one of them was like yeah I spent three hours in Fortnite last weekend with my son to watch Travis Scott yeah <laughs> and I was like wow and the other one was like yeah so um me too and then three weeks later three weeks later I was chatting to one of my speaker agency uh, um people she and she emailed me afterwards because i don't think she wanted to admit it to to her team she goes oh yeah no i spent i spent four hours in Fortnite with with my kid watching travis scott and it's like "Yep, okay the the world is getting interesting like the idea of virtual Mm -hmm. right inverted commas is is amenable to people now it's exactly it's culturally acceptable and and people know that they're not necessarily going to wear the headsets but that's just going to be part of this big, big idea of virtuality, right?
0: Yeah. Everything is cresting to the same kind of conclusion or, or the same behaviors, I guess. Um, Higher resolution TVs, bigger TVs, like all of that stuff is pushing you further and further into the experience, making everything that becomes a potential um, that feels that way, become more relevant to people. So, so VR headsets kind of, they spool into a larger ecosystem of devices that are making people feel immersed in their media yeah. right um, so yeah it's all leading to the same kind of eventuality or at least people are feeling really comfortable with those ideas and that's a really important factor in, in how those technologies tip um, i think price is a big one too it always has been and i think that's cool. where someone like facebook can afford to to take a, a bit of a bath on hardware um, so that you know the Quest 2 is 300 bucks it's like and you don't need a computer you know right. a, and it does everything that a high-end VR headset would do yeah
1: it's a perfect so. Christmas it's a, you know I always think that if you re- if you reach the sort of the state of being the perfect Christmas <clears> present <throat> because it doesn't break the bank and it's abundantly available yeah and and it makes you look cool by uh by <laughs> by giving it
0: I think yeah. that's it right yeah, and a lot of the experiences driving the success of that product are shareable. They're kind of infinitely shareable. They're things you want to see your family do. Uh, it's it's a bit of that like, uh, we move or uh, um, uh, sorry uh, Xbox Connect thing yeah. where K- connect. Yeah, there's there's this there's this thing that it's it's fun to watch, but this is way less gimmicky because it actually works. Right. <laughs> like those things kind of had a half-life or uh, where they where you saw the edges of where it fell apart um you know they didn't do it quite well enough but VR at this level does it perfectly like yeah. n- no exaggeration um so it doesn't it, it isn't just a gimmick and I, I have this conversation all the time too um but y- going back to something you said about um it's really interesting hearing you talk about, uh, the reliance or ne- necessity of being in a virtual device versus not needing to be. And you said something earlier about work from home and everybody striving to force everyone into virtual work environments. Yeah. Um, especially, so I've, I'm i bringing this up because like many companies, we went fully remote when COVID happened and you immediately see the deficits, um, especially in creative industries, Maybe, maybe more so, um, because organic collaboration yeah. through, through Zoom calls is incredibly difficult. Um, and you get there's a lot of associated fatigue with seeing things presented in this way. Anyways, uh, so as a VR company, your knee jerk is, oh, well, of course, just do everything in VR. Look at the VR landscape. Look at the companies who are doing VR meeting apps. Yeah. Um, and generally, when you look at them, they're pretty poorly done. And they ignore the elephant in the room, which is no one wants to wear a VR headset for more than a couple hours at a time. Right. And even then, you're you're pushing on the limits of what people are comfortable doing with the current state of the technology. So not, to me, none of those solutions is viable right now. It, it's a maybe in five years, it's viable. But right now, uh, it's not a practical solution for driving. That's the other thing that drives me nuts about a lot of these apps is that they, they miss the point it's not, it's a more about how um, we connect organically and in terms of our social, uh, the, the social stuff we miss from not being together in a shared space, right? Um, they're, they're very focused on tools and not about driving organic human connections. So uh, we, so when, and the reason I'm saying this is because when COVID yeah. hit, I, I had an immediate recognition that we had to fix something for our own company. Uh, I worked my last company. I had worked remote for ten years. I kind of knew some of the pitfalls that we were going to face um, with remote communication. Uh, so we we have a labs division at Cloudhead, and this was also enabled by the success of twenty nineteen. We're like, oh fuck, we can take four people and just have a labs yeah. department doing R and D, right? Uh, so we pivoted really fast, building uh, an app cloud head called cloud head which is kind of your head in the clouds yeah <laughs> um, and but uh, with the with the intention Nick of it's this is a flat screen all day lives on your monitor application right that drives um, those little weird connections we have all day long like water cooler talk um, yeah. or randomly bumping into people on your yeah. way from Meeting breakout room A to somewhere else, um, and then tr- sort of picking apart the the social uh, agreements we have at work, like going out for coffee and having a chat in these weird spaces. Um, so we're like, okay, well, we could stand up these practical things in a, in kind of like a a virtual, playful, whimsical way, uh, but let's let's really lean into what about the social side of this um, drives creative conversation and figuring out problems creatively so um we're pretty far along right now anyways <clears throat> very long story short yeah and we've we've basically I, I i think the shortest way to describe this is a workplace mmo it's like uh it's it's an all-day workplace game um where you're you can you can do all those things you'd expect to do in a, in a collaborative office environment have stand-ups have Uh, creative scrums by the whiteboard, do all that stuff, but it's about driving the little communications that happen around those things um, and giving lots of opportunity for people to just hang out and chill and do things together. We're doing this in a very unique way uh, because of my feelings about VR and and forcing people to be in VR. I'm not on that. I'm not on that plane. I think that VR has a very specific use case in this scenario and we do uh, have use of, of, VR in the app, but it's, it's, it's specified to us to task-based stuff. So if we're picking apart a 3d model or we're at the whiteboard, or if there's a use case for using VR, then you can pop on the headset anytime and bang, you're there, you're in VR. Right. But if, if you don't have it, you're just, it, everything exists on it, on the monitor just t- all day long.
1: I love um, the, I, I love the idea of the workplace. I think, I think you were, you, you sort of teased it a little bit on social media about two, I did 2 or so three I, weeks ago right
0: I posted a blog recently um, about the where where our head was at and why we did it it was to enable the yeah. team and do all those good things but one of the weird things weirder things we're doing is we're projecting video because everybody has a webcam everybody has a webcam but we right. all hate zoom we all hate being on Brady Bunch calls we all hate being <laughs> stared at by the jury because that's what it feels like you're you're constantly being eyeballed by dozens of people, and you can't escape it. And it it becomes something people legitimately dread. Right. Um, and it's really hard to be creative and chill and focused when that's the way things are presented. It's not a good way to collaborate. And you're like to me, Zoom calls and video calls are as archaic as like the telephone. Uh, it it doesn't like it it does what it does, but it's not intended to be used all day like it burns people out right it makes them depressed it doesn't make them feel connected it uh and 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 like i don't want to stare at a hundred people's living rooms or whatever right (laughs) there's just little weird things about it so what we did was we're like okay but everybody has a webcam right okay so let's take that idea let's steal that technology because it's there already and let's plaster the person's face on an avatar their video feed on an avatar and then put that in a shared context, a shared office space, or at the coffee shop, or right. at, at, in a castle, or on a pirate ship, or whatever. Give give the same, um, the ease of use of a video call like we're doing right now, but put it in a proper environmental context. And what's really interesting when you drive conversations that way, like we're sitting around a, a virtual environment, is you are not stared at by everybody all at once because you have to look at the person you're talking to. Right. And you, and when somebody talks, you turn your head to look at them and you're not looking at everybody and everybody's not looking at you. It's a super subtle, but super important aspect to how we communicate as human beings. Um, And anyways, we're, we're pretty excited about what it's doing and we've got this automated gaze system in there as well so you know you could choose to use your mouse and move your head around and look at everybody but we also have an automated system that's like targeting speakers or reframing uh, for context if a bunch of people are talking at the same time it reframes looks at the group um but generally you just kind of sit back and let it drive the conversation and it feels super organic even though our presentation is super whimsical and it's like a like i said it's like a workplace mmo it feels natural. And uh, so I th- I think there's a, a great need for this right now, just for, for what we're doing right now.
1: So so is this gonna be a commercial product or is this like your internal like it's ours, leave us alone sort of situation?
0: We're definitely we got we got cause it's been eight months now and it just it grew to a point where we're like, okay, obviously other people could use this, right? Okay. Um the the scale it's with things like this it's always scale right um like this is it it, this sounds super obnoxious nick but like this is a category killer in a lot of ways because it gets rid of video calls it gets rid of slack it gets rid of a bunch of things gets rid of a bunch of apps that try to help you do your job at an office right um, and just kind of rolls them into this this workplace it's like a mini metaverse i guess
1: yeah I love, I love the idea that you called it a workplace MMO, right yeah it completely it, it re it recalibrates that idea about what we're trying to do I mean zoom I live my life giving keynotes in in you know I, I've built a studio and I can stream into zoom or whatever it's it's soullessly painful it's soullessly painful I love giving keynotes I, I do a good job of it I feel yeah and it's soullessly painful because I can't see the people I'm speaking to yes I, I, that, I can't yeah. get the feedback I'm normally the guy that goes on stage with two and a half thousand people in, in the Bellagio this was this time last year and I'd ask a question and and, and 400 people put their hands up and I'd ask <laughs> yeah. that. and the energy and I'd be like and I'd tell a bad joke and I'd, three people would laugh in the back right yeah and, and now I'm literally you can't jokes are There's- gone yeah, right. there's no feedback. Human yeah, connection no... is gone. Feedback is gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so you might as well, yeah. And they're yeah. desperately trying to create a new kind of environment that's connected. You know?
0: Well, and you're touching on another thing that dr- kind of drives me nuts about current solutions that try to do this sort of thing is they they lean really hard on avatars. Right. Like no no one wants to stare at a plastic avatar head and try to pretend that that's your friend or your your business partner or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's super distracting. The uncanny Valley is high. And that's another reason we're like, okay, we're going to stick a video feed of the person's head on an avatar because that's right. what people give a shit about. Um, but like conferences, that's the other thing is like uh, some of the most valuable aspects of conferences for me are having the ability to float between talks and hallway conversations. Right, and, and you don't get that out of anything really right now, um, you might but it'll, it'll be that same situation where like it's it's an awkward interface I have difficulty navigating to this point in space and maybe it's only audio I have, but uh, thinking about casual interactions that could happen around a conference is the same thing, and for you as a speaker you know, we can cast your video to your face while you're on stage talking to a group of a whole audience of people where you can see their actual faces, right? Like, It's important. Those things are important for you and for, for everybody else that <laughs> that wants to try to connect uh, in a way that we understand, right? Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's been an interesting world. Um, well, we, we, we can probably talk for hours, Denny. Um, I'm not, you know, I was going to ask you, it's like, what are the three big predictions for vr ar in the next five, ten years i don't think i'm going to ask you that question because i think i think for me virtual reality itself and augmented reality is about the time and space and place that we're in right now and the, it, there's a human cultural <coughs> human cultural identity that we we've got to work out before we just suddenly trying to slip technology in as a as a future state because it feels that for me, virtual reality, augmented reality is trying to truly run um, side by side with human progression in society. I think that's why in the long run, it's going to be culturally important. And really, when it gets here, whether it's five years, 10 years, let's just say 25 years in the future, it's going to be cheap, amenable, it's going to be available and it's going to be, you know, outside of a headset or inside of a headset. But you know, is it going to be Ready Player One? Is it going to be that future? I don't think we're going to be too far off of that.
0: I think it's going to be super utilitarian. Um, it's an appliance, right? Um, and if, if uh, I'll just say this, if if anything has shown us anything, COVID may have been another contributing factor to VR's rise, especially right now, because um, it did two things for people. Um, it gave them a sense that they were visiting another place outside of their homes, outside of their living rooms, their apartments, they could get up. They could escape, um, which which was a huge game changer for a lot of people because they didn't actually recognize that the technology could do that for them. And there was a lot of conversation that I read about people kind of grokking it for the first time. Um, The other aspect to it was health and fitness. VR VR has had a massive health and fitness surge. That and again, it was like an unrecognized part of the technology. Right. Oh, you mean you mean I can get my heart rate up that much playing a VR game? Yeah, you can. And, and guess what? We're gonna make you we're gonna make you forget you're exercising because you're having so much fun that it doesn't feel like exercise, right? Um, and that's helped a lot of people kind of cope through covid as well so right. it's been a really interesting time yeah I, I could i could go on about what it would be in five years but i think um people understanding that vr has all of these practical use cases we're just we're finally getting to that point where it's like oh yeah i get it i i get how this could be used in a bunch of different ways that actually help my improve my life
1: yeah and what is it lululemon bought that company mirror and all sorts of things like it's like oh yeah no it, it, ubiquitous computing very yeah. much like the mobile phone, but you ubiquitous display, where where a virtuality comes in many different forms to the point where people won't even know that they're in a virtual environment. It's just yes. going to feel human. It's going to feel essential, important. They can connect to the people that they care and they love, and uh, you know maybe they'll stop using email and Slack and text messaging and all those things. And maybe that's the real promise of what virtual and augmented reality, mixed reality—if you want to call it that—as well—is um, yep. really gonna deliver. So, uh, Danny Unger, I would like to say thank you so much, sir. We—I <laughs> always love chatting to you. I think we did a—I think we did a—a uh, a panel with you and Karis O'Connell and a couple of other people around virtual reality, at a big privacy security conference about three years ago. I think that was the last time. Right. We may yep. have been in the same place. But I will come to Vancouver Island. I will come and uh, come and see you again because uh, you know, when, once everything's safe, I'm definitely going to be out west. Um, can you just uh, tell t- tell the people that are listening in uh, where they can find out more information about Cloudhead and what's going on?
0: Sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, yeah, they can head to cloudheadgames.com and you'll get most of your news there or on Twitter, our Cloudhead account. Um, that's I don't know. There's so much going on all the time that <laughs> you just you just kind of float around those two areas.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm going to put a link to the Cloud Head All Day Collaboration Tool Part One blog that you put up there. Super yeah, interesting, sure. right? It's just like th- this isn't about cataclysmic changes or, or or complete shifts. This is just about recognizing, you know, humanity, and that is, it's what I talk about at the end of every single one of my talks. People don't realize that love and connection are are some of the greatest, uh, some of the greatest motivators in the world. And they think that everyone's just going to be happy with a thousand dollar headset. And that just ain't the
0: truth. Right. Yeah. And we, and you know, these tools we use will never truly account for the deficits of being uh, cut off from each other. But I think we can get close enough where people don't just fall into total desperation and depression. (laughs)
1: Well, and on that point, Denny, I'd like to say thank you. And uh, uh, I think for the listeners, stay tuned because I think Denny and I are going to have a chat more often than not about this kind of stuff. Thanks, Denny. Thanks, Nick.